It's how we think about everything we do and what works well from a go-to-market perspective in a technology business. Um, it's fairly complicated, but we've tried to simplify it as much as possible. I would say there's, there's more complicated go-to-market models out there. This is hopefully digestible. And it consists of essentially three different sections and multiple initiatives within each of those sections. It starts with an inbound motion, and that is sort of like research, competitive intelligence, positioning, etc. That then bleeds into an outbound motion. So you're taking that work and you're synthesizing it and you're putting it into the market. So communications, um, you know, go-to-market planning, beta installation, etc. And then I think the the more interesting component to our model is that there is this sort of flywheel effect. It almost looks like a gear. And that is fueled by areas like win-loss analysis, voice of customer, product adoption, things that can then pipe back into that inbound motion and keep the, the model moving effectively. Welcome to the Product Marketing Life podcast, brought to you by the Product Marketing Alliance and hosted by me, Mark Cassini, Product Marketing Manager at Jobber. Every two weeks, I pull insights from some of the world's most talented product marketers to uncover the secret sauce of successful product marketing. In this episode, I'm joined by Devin O'Rourke, founder and managing partner at Fluvia. Devin has had a very notable career in product marketing with stints at both Etsy and Amazon. Since then, he's taken on a number of advisory roles, not only with the PMA, but also at Clue and Ignition. Today, Devin and the team at Fluvio provide on-demand product marketing consulting services that help software and technology businesses find growth. During our chat, Devin shares Fluvio's approach to creating repeatable go-to-market processes, outlining where most go-to-market plans tend to fall apart. He also shares his views on how product marketing can drive measurable impact at companies at various stages of growth. All right, with that out of the way, let's dive in. Hey, Devin, how's it going? Good. How are you doing, Mark? Good. Thanks for asking. Super excited to have you here today. Yeah, I'm excited to be back on the show. Yeah, we were just reminiscing before we started hitting record here that you were actually one of the first guests that we had on the show. So welcome back. That's right. I guess, yeah, one of the first. I guess that's that's right. Yeah, and we were also noting that this is technically my 50th episode hosting, so a bit of a milestone. So glad you could join me for that one. Yeah, and uh, that's crazy, 50. I mean, obviously, I have my own show. It's I think I've done eight. Uh, 50 is a lot, I can tell you. Yeah, it, it it definitely doesn't feel like a lot. So I'm sure you'll get there before you know it. And uh, yeah, we'll touch on your, your your own show in just a second here. But before we do that, I think it'd be great if you could give our listeners an overview of your career and your journey to founding Fluvio. Sure. Uh, I don't know how far back you want me to go, but I'll start I'll start with a whole different uh, a whole different career that I I jumped into after college. I was actually a photo editor, so was not in the tech world. Was not I didn't know what product marketing was. Um, essentially was a producer of photography, hiring photographers for ESPN, the magazine. And um, I, and I left that business after a year. It was an amazing job, but I just sort of saw the writing on the wall with, uh, with magazines and the world of photography changing. And it wasn't something that I saw a long-term future in. And I pivoted into the media agency and uh, really disliked that. And that was when I moved to New York, which I loved, but did not love the agency world. I'm sure a lot of other folks out there can relate to that. Um, and I was fortunate to work after that at an ad tech company as an associate product marketer. And the way I was able to pivot into that career 
was I was the the audience for their product. So I was starting from uh, a position of of deep understanding of the pains that media buyers and planners were going through and how this tech product could solve those problems. And actually, it's something that I've learned a lot from and I've I've shared with a number of folks who are trying to get into product marketing. It's find find an angle where you you are the customer because that is actually probably the most integral aspect of being a great product marketers is being the voice and expert of the customer. So if you're already starting from that point, you can learn sort of the trait pretty well. Um, and then I, I was in, you know, that product marketing world for a long time. Obviously I still am, but when I was at Amazon, I, uh, I had an idea that product marketing had really found a footing and I was witnessing every tech business across the spectrum from startups all the way to large enterprises aggressively trying to hire and establish a product marketing function. And at the same time, there just aren't that many product marketers out there. And so felt like a pretty simple supply demand problem. And I figured I would solve that supply problem with a consulting business and hence Fluvio was born. And that was uh, February of, of 2020. We've just been growing steadily since then. Yeah, and I've been fortunate enough to keep a close eye on Fluvio just because of you know how well you've been promoting the work that you've been doing and also the podcast that you've kicked off, which again, we'll touch on in a second here. But yeah, that's definitely a very unique career path. I don't think I've talked spoken with any former um, you know, photo editors and, and producers before. So that's a, that's a new one even for me. Um, you know, you mentioned your time at Amazon. Um, you know, obviously Amazon is a company that I think a lot of product marketers aspire to get exposure to or understand how product marketing functions at a company of that scale. Anything you'd be willing to share in terms of what product marketing at Amazon looked like, specific to your experience that you think uh, listeners might find interesting or, or different to how you've seen it done elsewhere? Um, honestly, no, it's not significantly different. I mean, to some extent, right. Product marketing is different everywhere you are. Right. So I was at Amazon before Amazon I was at Etsy and I was, uh, at an ad tech company tremor video before that in each instance, very different. In fact, in all three of those, we reported into a different department head. So, uh, at one point I was reporting to the COO at tremor video at Etsy. I was reporting into the head of product and at Amazon, we, we rolled into, into marketing. So really different everywhere. Um, but it's not like, you know, I think a lot of people think about Amazon, Apple, Google, and these large businesses that are, have been super successful and they assume that product marketing is well-established and is a, a well-oiled machine. And that the same problems that they're facing at their smaller company are not being faced at, at these large uh, tech businesses, but the truth is, is, is they are. Um, and that's actually something that I've learned growing Fluvio is we're being utilized by much larger enterprise tech companies than I would have, have thought from the get-go. Um, so these problems are sort of persistent no matter, you know, size. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because I've, I've had conversations with others who have worked at large organizations as well. And I've also been surprised to hear that product marketing does need to fight in the same way that product marketing would need to at much smaller organizations. So I think you're right. I don't think it's specific to the size of the org. I think it's just relative to the maturity of product marketing as a function. Um, so yeah, that's interesting to hear. One thing that I'm curious though, you mentioned that in your time, product marketing reported into three different departments, which in your experience, have you found to be the most conducive to strong product marketing? Was there one that seemed to get the best out of the team more so than others, or was it pretty much the same across the board? 
I think it's entirely dependent on the culture of a company and and frankly, where leaders want to apply product marketing. Um, so it, it really depends. I think you have to to tackle that by company by company, looking at like the core KPI they want to attach product marketing to. I've seen it work well in all in all instances. And and I would say, you know, over the last three years, working with dozens and dozens of companies, the primary department that product marketing does seem to fit in is marketing. Um, but if there is a company in which uh, they want to sort of like think PLG companies or companies that want product marketing to focus on inbound work, so more research oriented, understanding buyers, optimizing a product and, and its adoption, then it works really well by being embedded into product teams and creating this pod structure um, where a product marketer is sort of assigned to a product manager or a group of product managers focused on one core product. I've, I've seen that work quite well as, as well. Yeah, I find that pretty interesting. And, and as you said, there's, I feel like there's maybe no right way. There are certainly some wrong ways to structure product marketing. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. It, it, it definitely depends on the organization, their own structure. And like you said, the metrics and the outcomes that they want product marketing to influence. So yeah, interesting to hear that kind of be consistent across the board. Um, you know, there's something else that you mentioned that I wanted to touch on a bit deeper. And it was, you mentioned at Fluvio, you've got clients across a variety of industries and sizes, especially for some of those larger clients that you've taken on. Do you find that you're coming in to augment or support an existing product marketing function? Or are you helping that enterprise better understand the value that product marketing can bring so they can then spin up their own product marketing team? Yeah, so a little bit of both. So at the enterprise level, we're coming in to tackle some of their most strategic, challenging uh, go-to-market problems. And that inherently involves a little bit of sort of like structuring of product marketing, auditing what they have in place, making sure what they're doing is best practice, while also really diving in and being the support on you know a big product launch. Or you know they're thinking about, repackaging and pricing will be the team that'll that helps them do that functionally and we also really embed ourselves in these organizations so that we're able to have really intimate knowledge of of the product of the ecosystem they sit within and also the personnel there's a lot of change management that has to happen at these large uh large enterprises and then for the mid-market and, and startup world that's really where we're coming in and we're building a framework for them to stand on and we're establishing product marketing for the first time. We are sitting in seats and doing that work, but ultimately what we're trying to do is make, make them self-sufficient. And then we also sort of help them hire into that role. Now that, that makes a ton of sense. And how long does it typically take you to on-ramp to a new product and really understand it in a way that a product marketer would need to, to really yeah. contribute the value that's expected? Because I, I would imagine that can't be easy from the outside looking in. Yeah, great question, Mark. Um, we get that all the time. Uh, and it's a concern that I, I have to tackle in most of our prospect calls. I'm actually really proud of what we've built. We have a really thorough onboarding sprint. And it starts even before day one, where we have a survey that goes out to the core stakeholder. For us, that's usually a CMO, a CPO, or a VP of, of marketing or product. And we get all the relevant information we need to really get a grasp. And then we have a kickoff in which we identify core stakeholders that we'll need to interview in addition to some customer interviews. And we put ourselves through this sprint that usually takes two to three weeks. Sometimes it leaks beyond that. 
we try to cap it at two to three weeks. And you can think when you hire someone, usually there's this 90 day period of you understand this person's not going to be contributing significantly to the organization. Well, we have to condense that to two to three weeks. Um, it's taken some time, but I'm really proud actually of, of where we've netted out there. Yeah. And it sounds like you've obviously found a winning formula because as you said, you've taken on a number of clients since you founded the org a couple of years ago. So that's always good to see that the processes you're putting in place are actually starting to, you know, demonstrate the value that, as you said, clients are expecting upfront. So thanks for that insight and, and for sharing that. Cause yeah, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of listeners are curious of how long that typically takes. So cool. Speaking of things that you've built, you've more recently, and we kind of mentioned this earlier, uh, launched your own podcast, Embracing Erosion. So as someone who obviously, you know, is quite passionate about podcasting, I am curious, how do you find it fits into Fluvio's broader marketing efforts? Are there any interesting learnings about leveraging a podcast as part of a company's broader marketing efforts that you think you'd be willing to share? Sure. So for us, you know, we don't do a, a whole lot of, of business development, like lower funnel marketing. It just doesn't work with our services. We're a high touch, you know, fairly expensive professional services business. So our emphasis has been on generating brand awareness, establishing brand perception um, and credibility. And so thought leadership is, is a huge part of that. I would bucket the podcast into that sort of upper upper funnel. Um, uh, yeah, thought leadership sort of component and, and really trying to extend our network. I think, you know, last year was a period in which I, you know, we recognize that we've really found product market fit. We have really amazing clients. We have an exceptionally high NPS score of, of plus 82. And I have this perception as the founder and working in the business for three years that people know Fluvio and sort of everyone knows how we operate and who we work with and how strategic we are. And I was sort of hit over the head a couple of times last year where people are like, oh no, I've never heard of you. Folks that I would assume have. And so I got into this mode of, wow, well, how do I, you know, extend our voice a bit? How do we continue to build our network? And how do I let people get a little bit of a preview of the type of strategic conversations and decisions that we're making with leaders? And um, and that's sort of how the, the podcast was born. I wanted folks to get a sense of who we speak with, how we think, the, ta the problems that we're able to help tackle. And so, yeah, that, that was the birth of embracing erosion. Yeah. I'm always curious to hear what the logic behind some of these decisions are. And I, you know, I think you're right. It's definitely a big brand awareness play and a thought leadership play. So I think it makes a ton of sense. And, you know, you've been fortunate to have some pretty great guests recently. You know, we were talking earlier before we hit record about, you know, the recent episode you had with Derek Osgood and, and as well as Emma Stratton. How do you go about approaching those conversations with some of those, you know, fairly well-known thought leaders and tying it back to the business, right? I think it's, you know, as as I'm painfully aware of, relatively easy to strike up a conversation um, with really anybody about topics like product marketing and, and have a pretty good chat. But I think I would imagine it's maybe more challenging for a business like yours to then tie that back to the value that you can offer without it just feeling like you're constantly pitching the business in every conversation. How do you go about that? Yeah, frankly, I do not ever want to come across as pitching the business. It's it's really uh, it's fueled by my interest. And I have gotten to know a lot of these leaders in our space, uh, whether they're CEOs, CMOs, CPOs, and folks that are dealing with the problems that we help tackle. I just want to talk with them and I want to expose our broader network to those discussions. 
So for me, it just comes from a place of interest. I, I really enjoy speaking with them. I, I would say like secondarily, there's going to be an intuitive connection to the types of conversations we're having, my points of view on how to tackle these. And it'll allude to the fact that we've built a business around making these decisions. So I, I absolutely you know, don't want the podcast to be this sort of like sales channel for us. Uh, it's it's almost a side project that has secondary benefits. That's how I think about it. Yeah, and you know, if it's any you know a value to, it, I definitely think you struck a good balance there. I've never listened to an episode and felt, oh, here we go, Devin's just pitching Fluvio. <laughs> I definitely get the sense that you know your your passion for the subject matter comes through, and the the level of conversations you're able to have to to the guests is definitely a high bar that I hope I'm able to you know equal uh, with with this show, or at least I've strived to for the past several episodes. So uh, yeah, it's always you're interesting great. to hear how. You're, oh, you're doing, appreciate you're doing that. very well. I, I, there's a lot of things I'm I'm sure I could learn uh, learn from you. Oh, I don't know how close you'd want to you'd want to pay attention because I'm sure there's probably some things that you might learn that oh maybe maybe Mark doesn't always have it uh, as as well as it might seem. But uh, I digress. Anyway, let's uh, let's dive into the topic uh, at hand that you know I, I really want to dive in with you, and that's you know go to market. It, it's a subject that's obviously incredibly important to product marketers. It's an area that I focus on in my day to day, and it's also an area that you've with Fluvio built out you know quite an area of success, uh, and, and you know. If we think more closely about that, you last year posted a detailed breakdown of how a product marketer can build a repeatable go-to-market process. And this is something that I've seen come up countless times in conversations across, you know, the PMA community and other communities elsewhere is like, hey, how do we make this easier to repeat um, and, and not have to reinvent the wheel every single time? So I think it'd be great if you could give the listeners a high-level overview of that model uh, and, and yeah. the value that it brings. Yeah, sure. So we went through a, uh, an exercise, like all the consultants at Fluvio, we sat down, we sort of whiteboarded all the areas that that we've touched in engagements and and thinking back to our, our previous careers as product marketing practitioners as well. And we then sort of mapped out how they tie together. And um, ultimately, that led to this go-to-market model that we've built. You can see it on our website. You referenced this article I've written. There's a, a LinkedIn post about it. Effectively, this represents our intellectual property um, as a professional services business. It's it's how we think about everything we do and what works well from a go-to-market perspective in a technology business. Um, it's fairly complicated, but we've tried to simplify it as much as possible. I would say there's there's more complicated go-to-market models out there. This is hopefully digestible, and it consists of essentially three different sections and multiple initiatives within each of those sections. It starts with an inbound motion, and that is sort of like research, competitive intelligence, positioning, et cetera. That then bleeds into an outbound motion. So you're taking that work and you're synthesizing it and you're putting it into the market. So communications, um, you know, go-to-market planning, beta installation, et cetera. And then I think the, the more interesting component to our model is that there is this sort of flywheel effect. It almost looks like a gear. And that is fueled by areas like win-loss analysis, voice of customer, product adoption, things that can then pipe back into that inbound motion and keep the, the model moving effectively. Yeah. And it's funny. I, I know you described it as complicated. When I went through the article myself, I didn't find it to be the case. I think if you, if you look at it at first glance, I'm sure it can definitely feel like there's a lot. 
But I think that's to the benefit of the model because, you know, in every bit of go-to-market framework guidance that I've seen, they tend to be pretty high level and light on details. And I'm personally a detail guy. Like I'd like to know, okay, if, if you're going to, you know, sell me or, or provide me with this framework, I want to know what goes into it. And like step-by-step step to every little of details that I then can take it and replicate it. And we'll get into this idea of replicating it in just a second here. But I think that's the benefit of your framework is that it is so prescriptive and detailed that I'm sure this still allows for some flexibility and creativity within it to, to do things differently each time to a degree, but it it also kind of keeps you on focus and on track to make sure that you're doing all the things that you need to do to, to hit a successful go-to-market. Because, you know, go-to-market, it's three three very short words, but it is a very complicated subject. And yeah. I think it gets talked about differently. Depending on who you talk to, you can get completely different definitions. So I just wanted to, again, reiterate, like, I think the value of, of your framework being so detailed is that it, you know, provides a guidance that you need to really run a go-to-market effectively. Thank you. Yeah. And actually, you bring up a really good point. I mean, you know, when we looked out in market and we looked at how people were thinking about a go-to-market process or a go-to-market model, whatever you want to call it, a lot of it was super high level and you couldn't really measure it or build it. So for us, you know, we've built this, this model. It's what, it's what we think of when we work on all of our client engagements and we identify areas that are lacking at these client, the, the, at the client level. And now what we're doing is we're actually trying to build an assessment tool. So this is a little bit of a teaser where we ask, depending on the size of the company, a number of questions and think like a strengths finder test. And then we produce a go-to-market model health report. And we show you sort of where you're doing well, where you're not doing well, how to improve. And we would never be able to do that if we didn't get to that level of detail. I didn't want to build this fluffy, um, you know, like high level visual. Um, I wanted to make it tangible. Yeah. And I think it's that tangible nature that again, generates that value. And I love a good tea, so I'm excited to see what that assessment tool looks like. If you get to a point where you're comfortable sharing it externally, I know, you know, obviously there um, are reasons to keep that kind of IP, uh, you know, close to the chest. But uh, I'm curious in the concept of that assessment, was that something you would do potentially during the discovery phase or once you've, you know, signed the docs, you're onboarded and like that's part of that first two to three week sprint that you mentioned earlier? Yeah, so we're 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 still thinking through it. We've actually we already have a beta of it, um, and we've tested it with some clients to get their feedback. Um, so we're sort of dog fooding it a bit. Um, I think we're gonna have various versions. Um, we frankly we might have a very robust version that we that we pay, that we charge for. Um, there's also an element to it where we need some consultative review, and it's not entirely a programmatic tool which I actually think is a, is a benefit, right? It's, it's produced based on data that, and the inputs that you're providing us and, and our model. And then there's an overlay of consultative review and audit and recommendations. So it's, it's actually a, a pretty high, you know, high touch valuable product that I think we might sell. And then we might have other versions in which we utilize in engagements to really get a grasp of where we should be applying our efforts. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. You know, I've spent a very brief period of my life in an agency setting as well. And, and one of the things that not necessarily we often got accused of, actually, I don't think we ever got accused of it, come to think of it. But I know when we would come into clients that have had past experiences with our marketing agencies, that was one of their biggest areas of concern was, oh, we had this agency come in and they charged us a bunch of money for, as you said, a bunch of fluff, right? Like a bunch of pretty pictures and, and fancy looking words, but nothing of actual value. And I think clients, because they're, you know, paying a fee, 
anchor so heavily on having something that's quantifiable that an assessment tool like the one you described or a health check would be cons- like of immense value to just establishing that, hey, this is something that we can actually measure and show you where you are today and how applying this go-to-market framework will actually take you to the next level or improve upon things that are currently lacking. So I think it's a really smart call on your part. Part of what we're thinking about for the assessment tool could be a light version that's available to VPs of product marketing who are leading large product marketing orgs and are unable to measure how well their team is performing over time. So you can have snapshots of beginning of the year, take the assessment, middle of the year, take the assessment, and at the end of the year, take the assessment and be able to see where there's progress and apply resourcing to continue to you know produce better results for the team. I think that's pretty smart. I think you're right. Like there's an inherent challenge of measuring product marketing. And, you know, there's been a ton of, you know, content written about, you know, ways that that can be augmented or improved upon by focusing on specific metrics or making certain connections that, you know, product marketers might not have otherwise considered. But I do like this idea of doing it as a, a moment in time and then comparing that to previous assessments to see where the development or the progress is being made. Uh, I think that would be a pretty unique element of the assessment. So I'm interested to see what you come up with. Awesome. So I want to go back to, again, that article that we talked about and, and the framework itself, you know, and, and in the kind of introduction of the framework, you mentioned that you think, you know, most companies failure around go-to-market resides in their macro level ability to sustain successful product and feature launches. What drew you to that conclusion? And why do you think that's the case? Yeah, I think there's a lack of repeatability in a go-to-market process that most companies have. And so you find that there's individual product marketers going through this linear process to launch a product. When it's done, they sort of wipe their hands clean and they're not necessarily learning and reverting that knowledge back into improving the next launch. And that was you know, a hypothesis, a hypothesis we had and it's something we identified in a number of clients. And when we built the model, it became very apparent to us that a go-to-market process is very much cyclical in nature. And so what that means is there is this feedback loop or this crank in the model that you're taking learnings post-launch and you're feeding that back into the inbound motion of a go-to-market process so that you're constantly learning and it's an iterative process. So you can think very tangibly personas. I can't tell you how many times we go into a client engagement and they say, we have personas I think they were created a couple of years ago. They haven't really been updated, so no one really uses them. Well, that that's a pretty good signal that your go-to-market process is linear in nature and that you're not going back and refining. Um, and that's, that's just one example, but there, there's a lot of um, instances in which cause problems if you're not you know, taking learnings, you're, you're throwing them back into the inbound motion and you're constantly refining. If you do that well, you'll find that you're able to move much quicker and that um, there are a lot of uh, learnings that are, are not dropped. And then what advice do you have for, you know, product marketers who find themselves in a situation where you're going through this linear process, you know, they're going from one go-to-market execution to another, and they, they don't necessarily take the time or have the tools available to them to, to generate or start that flywheel and, and kind of take those feedbacks in. Are there specific tools or processes that you've you know seen work with clients or that you've recommended clients adopt to make sure that that feedback is getting captured and applied? Because again, as we said earlier, it's easy to say it in theory, but in practice, sometimes that can be more challenging. 
Sure. There's a couple things here. I mean, one is there's an element of change management, which I referred to earlier, especially at these large enterprise businesses, but frankly, pretty much across the board. So oftentimes in order to install a go-to-market model and process like that, you have to go through roles and responsibilities, identification and training, and make sure that leaders are on board and that that's disseminated down into their organizations. Um, so I think that's that's paramount. From a tooling perspective, you know, I'll do a shout out to Ignition. I think Ignition is a tool that's built around this approach. They're just, you know, still in the early innings, but I have a lot of of, of high hopes for Ignition, and I think what they've already built in the early days is really impressive. Um, but ultimately, it sort of does fall on the product marketers. The really great product marketers are doing this inherently, and um, they're taking learnings into account and that and they're embedding them into personas and messaging and positioning. And they're they recognize that this is something that changes over time. Um, you know, you can think with um OpenAI and ChatGPT, like right now, every single MarTech company should be looking at their positioning. And that's just one example of as things occur in market and as you launch products that needs to be infused into your ongoing inbound motion. Yeah, I, I think that makes a ton of sense. And I appreciate the practical examples that you provided because you're right. Like, you know, when you see it written in an article in a framework, it seems, albeit detailed, as we said, but it seems so easy, but the challenge really lies in, in applying it. And yeah, I, I think to that point of like the tooling of Ignition, you know, it's again, a, a, a tool that I've kept a close eye on as well. I know you and I both have, got pretty strong relationships with Derek and the team over there. So yeah, I think you're right. I think they're on the path to, you know, sorting what that process out, uh, how to, how to really like build the tools around that process. Um, but yeah, I, I think if you take a step back and you just say like, Hey, as a product marketer, I should be constantly, you know, taking lessons from everything that I do them and go to market should be one of those primary things. Um, and, and figuring out how to apply them. That's what separates, as you said, like a good product marketer from a great one. So I just wanted to, to re-highlight that insight because I think it's an important one. Yeah. And also just real quick, a, a tangible example. Like when I started Fluvio, I was building this inbound motion and doing deep research. My first hypothesis was our services are going to be built for startups, um, for companies that have struggled or maybe haven't even tried to establish product marketing. They're being told by their board or investors that they need to build a product marketing team. And yet it's expensive and they don't really know where to start. That's how I started the business. I quickly learned that they, you know, are actually not the best fit given the model that I was trying to deploy. It was a there was a mismatch. And so during that process, I've over time and the team alongside me has refined our personas and our ICP. And we're now more mid-market to enterprise focused. We have our messaging, we have our positioning, but all of that has been changing and every month it changes. Um, and so it, even as a, a small services business, this go-to-market model is applicable. Yeah, it's always great to see your own model working for you and your own business, right? So I think that just yeah. adds more, more validity to the fact that it is, it is a successful framework to leverage. Well, let's take a second and go back to a topic that you briefly mentioned is this idea of measurement, right? And, and you know, outside of go-to-market, how do you think product marketers can lean into initiatives and efforts that actually impact key business metrics that are measurable that occur outside of go-to-market motions or a launch? Sure. So again, it sort of depends on 
where the company wants to deploy product marketing, given we are the connective tissue between a lot of teams that do own really tangible business metrics. It, it, it depends on where the, the leadership team wants you to flex. So I would say this year, what I'm seeing with, with clients and prospects is tying product marketing to sales efforts and owning these sort of like sales playbooks or these sales plays and partnering very closely with CROs. And so in that case, I think product marketing can and should work closely with sales and have co-ownership over some of these very tangible, tangible pipeline metrics or win-loss rates or you know, whatever it is that the sales team is, is gold against. I think that that's realistic. Um, and we've always been an input to those, but by actually tying a joint goal, you're going to effectively be able to, you know, say, you know, say that we've we've accomplished what we've struck out to accomplish. Um, and then I think the the inverse of that would be if you have product marketing focused on stickiness of product and retention, then you can embed product marketers directly in these pods that are focused on very specific products and very specific product goals and make sure that everything product marketing is doing is in support of those goals themselves. So again, these joint goals with, with uh, product teams, I don't think you should be doing this with every organization we touch or every department we touch that's not attainable. I think you have to have focus and this comes down from the, you know, really the CEO, like where do we want our, our efforts? And that's where product marketing will apply themselves that you can't stretch yourself across uh, too thin. Yeah. I think that makes a ton of sense. And, and I'm curious, how do you suggest product marketers approach that conversation with those partnering teams? Cause you know, I've heard in conversations with colleagues and other product marketers that a lot of the times there's not necessarily pushback, but there's some uncertainty around the level of impact product marketing can have in some of those metrics. So for example, you know, you talk about product and the retention side and the adoption side of things. How should a product marketer answer the question of, you know, oh, well, how much of that is the product being well-designed and developed by the product team versus how much of the insights product marketing is generating to help inform those decisions actually contributing to those metrics? Doesn't necessarily have to be like a direct tie. Can they be shared, as you said, or in general, how do you think that that question should be answered? Sure. So really the question is like, how does product marketing prove value? I I don't think product marketing can just in, inject themselves and say, hey, this is my role. That doesn't work. Um, you have to produce the work. So I would say if you're trying to become an input into product development and roadmap and and adoption, then you should produce an adoption report. You should be pulling in data. You should interview customers. And you don't even have to tell the team you're doing this and come to them with a very robust report that has you know, data, uh, qualitative and quantitative, and show them the type of value you can provide. Um, I, frankly, I think that's probably just a life lesson. Like, sh sh <laughs> Just do the work and show value. Don't tell people what your value is. Just do the damn work. Um, and same thing on the on the sales side. I think you know you can go through a a thorough win loss analysis and show the sales team what's happening, um, synthesizing all of the sales and a, you know AEs and and not just calling and looking at one uh, one lost deal, which is often what's happening. It's like we lost this one big deal because of this. We need to either be positioning ourselves this way or we need to build a product that way. Uh, that might not actually be the case if you take everything in totality, or if you're focusing on a very specific segment that is the strategic segment. Um, and oftentimes, I think 
you know, the sales team, given their myopic and in, in what they're working on at that time, lacks that sort of macro view. And that's what product marketing can do. So I guess in short, pr prove your value, do the work. Yeah. And I think that's just an inherent challenge of being a product marketer is that ability to balance the need to be in the weeds with teams like product and with sales and understanding the specifics of certain deals or elements of the product. But also, as you said, you know, balancing that against the macro level understanding of, okay, if we take a step back and we look at all these deals in totality or the broader product landscape and our, how that relates to our competitors and our, and our customers um, to make informed decisions that look at both of those things, that's just a skill that I think product marketers have to develop over time. I know that's a skill that I've had to really you know, flex more recently. Um, and you just kind of do it by trying. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you're going to work with stakeholders that really are going to want you to focus in the weeds and that's where they see the value. Others you know, they, they want you to be high level. So it really is a matter of developing that skill and, and figuring out where your stakeholders in the organization you, you work at needs you the most. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. It's interesting. As you're saying that like soft skills, it's, it's really apparent. It's become more apparent to me over time, especially as a, as a consulting firm that soft skills are integral to product marketing success. You have to be really great at relationships you have to be really great at understanding what people care about and why distilling that down. Um, it's something that you can't necessarily teach, but is of the utmost importance. Yeah. And I always love the, the dynamic of, of supporting a given team where you got a variety of in the weeds people and high level people and, and always navigating those conversations, especially in a group setting. I always find to be just one of those joys of being a product marketer, one of those inherent challenges that you have to navigate. But again, if you, if you find yourself struggling in those conversations, either it is a soft skill that, as you said, you have to really work at and develop, or maybe that's just uh, not an environment that you find success in, or maybe, you know, that's just not an area of product marketing that you're going to find success in. And you just need to figure out if there's something you can else you can move on to, or, or again, like, as I said, how to develop that skill elsewhere. So yeah, one of those perks of, of being a product marketer that, that rears its head from time to time. Absolutely. All right. So, you know, Devin, this has been a great conversation. I'm super happy to have you back on the show. Um, you know, it's, and it's been really impressive watching the growth of Fluvio, even in the past several months, whether it's, you know, through the great podcast you're putting out or some of the clients that you've worked with more recently. And again, it's, it's very clear based on the conversation we've had today that the frameworks that you're developing and the assessment tools that you, you know, you're thinking about developing are either currently generating value or will be in the, in the near term for your clients. And, and, you know, I, I think there's so much value in chatting with individuals such as yourselves who are in this kind of consulting environment because of the variety of clients you get to work with and the learnings you can really absorb from those engagements that product marketers working at one firm can't really get access to. So I appreciate you, you know, taking the time and, and sharing those insights with me and with the listeners. Um, but before I let you go, I'm going to ask you my final question. And again, it's one I've been asking uh, my guests most recently on, on our current season, and that's you know, what do you feel is an area of focus within the realm of product marketing or close to it that product marketers will have to pay extra attention to this year, more so than in previous years? Yes, good question. I think because of, in, in, you know, maybe a recession, I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows. Um, we're seeing different trends in our own pipeline, frankly. But I do think that product marketing needs to really think competitively about, um, how you can support sales and real revenue driving. Um, I think retention also, you know, is important. But in that vein, I do think win-loss. I think win-loss is an area where a lot of product marketers technically have ownership, but very rarely produce that report uh, or have built that that function. And 
you know, you, you see a trend in market, obviously there's closed, um, who actually we work with here at Fluvia They're, you know, a really, really great service. And they have a, a product for win loss. You see clue who, um, through acquisition is now thinking about win loss and thinking that and baking that into this broader sort of compete platform. So I think competitive intelligence, a lot of folks are doing really well. The next level of that is, is win loss. Yeah, I think it makes a ton of sense. And, you know, if you, if you tie that back into your framework, as I know, and I'm sure you do with, with clients regularly, that's where you're going to get such robust learnings about where you are in the current market. As you said, if you go through a linear approach, you just, you, you do one, you move on to the next one. You don't take that sec- second to reflect, but by doing those thorough win-loss interviews and, and uncovering those insights, you can see where customers' sentiments or budgets or focus on you know value is changing. And you can then take those insights and feed them back into you know the, the, the inbound side of things to then further amplify and level up your outbound efforts. So I think you're right. I think you know for product marketers listening who either don't have ownership or haven't you know carved out the time to really focus on win-loss, I think now is a great time to start thinking about how you're gonna roll that out over the next you know couple of quarters here. Yeah, I agree. I think technically in our feedback wheel, our crank, there are six initiatives of which the mo- the primary is, is absolutely win-loss. Excellent. Well, listen, like I said, Devin, this has been a great conversation. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's, it's always great to have uh, you know, a previous guest come back on and kind of share their most recent learnings and, and you know how their own career uh, and progress has changed over time. So as I said, you know, I've been watching from afar and seeing nothing but success from the Fluvio team, and I'm sure that will continue. Uh, and on that note, you know, should any listener, um, you know, want to get in touch with you, maybe to ask you some questions about your own framework and maybe how they can leverage it at their own organization or potentially take you on in a more professional uh, context, what would that look like? Uh, and who, what would be the best way to get out uh, in touch with you? Yeah, I'm, I'm very open. Uh, I meet with people all the time. And sometimes I think people are surprised at that, frankly, but you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, it's really the the only space that I I occupy. Um, I do also obviously have the podcast and I actually give out my email at the end of that podcast. It's a little bit of a test to see if anyone listens to it. Um, <laughs> so if you get, if you, if you'd like to get in touch with me, it, frankly, it's, it's pretty easy. And I do enjoy meeting with folks and learning about what they're working on and, and what they're interested in. I think it's important for me, for myself to be really connected in the ecosystem. Fantastic. Well, I'm I'm sure you'll get at least a couple of, of follow-ups on LinkedIn from this conversation. I know I learned a ton and I'm sure the listeners did as well. So I just want to, again, thank you so much for your time today. And I look forward to seeing the types of clients and the, and the future success that Fluvio's got uh, ahead of itself. So thank you again, Devin. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on, Mark. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Chat soon. For everyone still tuned in, thanks so much for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please help us spread the word to other product marketers. Before we leave you to get on with your day, if you want to get involved, here are a few ways you can. If you're a product marketer and you want to come on the show and speak about your day, a specific topic, or your role in general, that's one option. If you want to flex your podcast hosting skills, being a guest host is another. And finally, if you or your company want to spot to an episode, there's a third. Thanks again and have a great morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are.